Jesus, uh, as we just read, you've called us to be disciples. Um, Lord, would you grow us under your word today, under the word of Scripture, uh, to be just that, to be more and more like Christ? Uh, Grow us to be, as we read in Ephesians 4 just now, a people who speak the truth in love, the truth of your gospel in love into each other's lives and grow to be like Jesus. Lord, let your church grow strong and let that strength be defined by the fact that we are more and more like you, our Lord. Yeah, please speak through me now. Uh, Use my imperfection for your perfect means. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, imagine for a minute, all right, that you are not named whatever you're named. I'm not going to name you all right now. You're named Simon, okay? Uh, And uh, you're soon to be renamed Peter, in fact, and it's roughly 2,000 years ago from about now-ish. Yeah, we got the thing. Um, You're a Galilean fisherman, and you have just spent a really tough night out on the lake in Galilee, or the Sea of Galilee. You've been on the boat all night trying to catch fish, and regardless of your best efforts, you haven't caught a single solitary one. And you get in in the morning, and you're tired, and you're bothered, and you're starting to pull the boat up on the shore, and you're starting to clean your nets, and this guy walks up, and he says, hey, I'm Jesus. There's this crowd here that wants to hear from me. Do you mind if I use your boat to do that? And... uh, You know, maybe you've heard a bit about this guy. You've heard that he's a great teacher. You've heard that he's done amazing things. Maybe you've even heard that he's made some big claims about himself. And so regardless of your tiredness, you decide to give it a go. And you uh, let him into your boat and you set out into the water. And he stands up and he teaches the crowds and he teaches with great authority. And then after he's finished teaching, he turns around to you and he says, Simon, take us out a bit further. We're going to catch some fish. And and at this point, having been a professional fisherman your entire life, and it's not that unrelatable for some of you, um, you perhaps become a little bit on the grumpy side because, because who does this guy think he is? You know, it's well and good for him to teach people about being disciples and about the kingdom of God and stuff like that. But you're a fisherman and you've been out all night and you didn't catch a thing. But anyway... Anyway, he's Jesus, you've heard the hype, so you decide to give it a crack. You take the boat out and throw out your net, and to your amazement, you pull in the most enormous catch you've ever had. In fact, it's so much that you have to call in another boat to pull in the fish that are in the net. And even then, as you go back to shore, both of the boats begin to sink under the weight of what's being caught. And suddenly you realize, and it's something clicks in your head and you realize, my goodness, there's, this guy's not usual. Beyond the hype, this guy is something else. There is something of God about this man. And so as we read that Peter did, you fall on your face and you say, depart from me, O Lord. I'm a sinful man. <laughs> And he turns to you and he says, Simon, come with me, follow me. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. And in your relation, you say, wow, great. I'll go and get my stuff with the road. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. You quote a bit of scripture to impress him. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you're just... Wow, to be going as a disciple of Jesus. And, and he turns to you again and he looks you in the eye and he says, Nah, 
nah, that's not really necessary. Nah, just, um, just kind of believe generally in a kind of mental assenting sort of way and uh, just basically just chill out and do, do what you were doing previously. Yeah, all right, see ya, bye, and he goes, right? It's a little bit preposterous, isn't it? A little bit on the crazy side. Uh, because we know that when, when Peter and when his disi the disciples of Jesus were called, it was just, just a basic fact that it was going to turn their lives upside down to be his disciple. They left jobs, they left family, they left financial security, everything their lives had been up to that point they left behind for the sake of following Jesus because they believed that he was better than everything else. We're in the third part of our series today on what it means to live as the church. And today we're looking at a really central part of that. We're looking at discipleship. Now, uh, really, you could almost put everything the church does under this one title, discipleship. Uh, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say that. Uh, or at least everything the sh church should do, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, discipleship is this enormous thing. The Bible doesn't envisage discipleship being something that happens in a single part of your life or on a couple of days of the week or on a single program of the church or something like that. It envisages us Christians being called to live out the reality that we are disciples of Jesus every day and every moment of our lives. And we're going to see today that every Christian is called to be a disciple who makes disciples. But before we even get to that, it might be worth addressing one little question, which is, what's a disciple? Uh, now, loads of different people have loads of different ideas in answer to that question. Probably the, probably the simplest answer you could give is that a disciple is a, a learner or a pupil, someone who learns from someone else to be like them. Uh, a lot of ideas uh, come out about it, and the, and the word discipleship gets bandied around a lot in Christian circles. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, and often it's not with a lot of underlying knowledge of what it actually means. Uh, for instance, a couple of years ago, I was seeking a job as a pastor, uh, and uh, I was looking at different churches. And, and when I looked at these churches, one of the first things I would do was see if they have a website, and then I'd read about them on their website to kind of get a bit of a gist about them. There's a very limited amount you can know about a church from their website, especially ours. We don't have one. But, uh, but almost all of them had something on their website about how they were passionate about making disciples. But the funny thing is, as I, as I got to know a lot of these churches, as I went to interviews, spoke to their, their senior leadership teams, um, much less of them seemed to have a, a clear idea of what a disciple is and what disciple making is. So as I said, we're going to give a definition here. And, and what, what does it mean? And, and like I said, the, the stock standard definition is a follower or a learner. The, the Oxford Dictionary defines it as a follower or a pupil of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. That's to say that it's someone who learns from and, and takes up the ways of someone else, right? So if I follow Nathan everywhere and become more like Nathan and get a more hipster haircut, then I'm a <laughs> disciple of Nathan. Uh, I'm so sorry, Nathan. <laughs> um, for a Christian disciple... It means someone who learns from Jesus or from a, a, a fellow more mature follower of Jesus to be more like Jesus. 
And we see that clearly in the New Testament, don't we? Uh, perhaps the clearest example is in the, the Great Commission that, that uh, Phil, I'll call him, read out for us just before. Jesus tells his disciples, make disciples of all nations. And then he gives these two instructions these, that flow out of that uh, grammatically in the text. He gives them two instructions as to how disciples are made. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and significantly teaching them to do all that I have commanded. That means that the disciples were to call people to believe in Jesus and to teach them all of his teaching. Now, in the, the passage that uh, I'll stick with what I've done and go, Shelley uh, read for us today, Paul builds this idea of discipleship and offers us some goals of Christian discipleship. Uh, if you have a, a Bible, I encourage you to get, get that passage open if you haven't already. Uh, it's Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11 we read. Uh, but what Paul writes there is he gave, this is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Stop there for a second. What do we have so far? Uh, lots, but, but a couple of specifics. That he gave at the start of this passage uh, refers to Jesus, as we see in the verses beforehand. The significance of that is that discipleship, the growing of the people of God, isn't first our initiative. We don't provide the resources for it. We actually see that as well in the Great Commission when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go. It's Jesus who calls us to be disciples and in his grace, by his spirit, he provides all of the strength we need to live a disciple's life. That's important because it's so easy for us to think that we are saved by grace but are disciples by our own strength and work. And that's just not it. We are only able to live a life of obedient discipleship because of Jesus' gracious provision at every step. It's important to emphasize that, and, and it's really easy for us to miss it, at least functionally to miss it as Christians in our day-to-day -day lives. But what does it say here about his provision? Jesus gave his church leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers, but not so that they would do the work of ministry. What does he say? I'm reading from the ESV, by the way, so it's a little bit different, but you get the same gist in NIV, I assume. He gave them, not so that they would do the work of ministry, but so that they would build up the people for the work of ministry. Incidentally, ministry uh, is, a, is a word in the biblical language that just means serving. It's, it's pretty straightforward. It's regularly translated that way in the New Testament. For instance, when Jesus says, let the greatest among you be as the one who serves. Same root word there as what we translate as ministry in Ephesians 4. So, so what is the work of ministry that the whole church is built up by its leaders to do? He gave the leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 
from whom every uh, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love now that's a huge bit of scripture and, and if we were spending time in it we'd probably spend more than a week in it um, but 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 one thing we clearly see in there is that the service, the ministry of the people of the church is for the purpose of building up the church. And the goal in building up the church is that we should have unity and not just any unity, but unity in the faith and the knowledge of Jesus. So one purpose of discipleship is we become unified in what we know and believe. And that, Paul says, is for the purpose of us growing up into the likeness of Christ. Do you see the picture of Christian discipleship we're getting here? It's the people of God by the grace that Jesus provides, together growing in our knowledge of and faith in Jesus, so that we can slowly learn to become more like Jesus. Jesus is the initiator, the means, and the goal of discipleship. He's everything. And so Christian discipleship only happens when we acknowledge our woeful inadequacy and throw ourselves on him to sustain us, and he is good in doing so. So a disciple is one who grows under other Christians to grow to be more like Jesus. And the whole body of Christ is given to this one task in the scripture. So now we have this general definition of, Christ, of a Christian disciple. We need to ask ourselves, who is it that is or should be a disciple? I've kind of already jumped the gun on that a little bit, but you, you might hear that and think it's actually just a dumb question anyway. Um, a, a lot of people would. I almost would. Uh, there's an obvious answer, but it does sometimes divide people in a way that really shouldn't. Which Christians should be disciples? Um, it's kind of like football in a way. Uh, is football played with a, a round ball or an oblong ball? Like, I would guess that everyone in this room would say, what are you talking about, John? The answer to that question is obvious. And yet, like three months ago, I lived, I, I, I lived and was a part of a church where everyone would have given a different answer. Actually, it's not about the roundness. It was more about the rugbiness of it. But anyway. And I like guarantee someone's going to come up to me after this sermon and, and this is going to be the thing they took out of it about, about football. And they're going to say, John, you know that there's only one answer to that question. And if you're that person, you know who you are. Um, but our question is, the thing that is often divisive, who are disciples? Some Christians are all of us. Who among the saved people of God are called by the power of God's work in them to be intentionally growing under more mature Christians? in their faith, growing in their faith in God and becoming more like Christ. Many people believe that not all Christians are called to be disciples, that discipleship is a separate thing, that there are kind of two tiers of Christianity, those who are called to be saved and, and, and are otherwise fairly unchanged, aside from perhaps some regular church attendance smattered in there, and those who are saved and called to be a disciple and to live a life of discipleship thus to grow into Christ. But the Bible absolutely doesn't allow for that. Let me give you three reasons. And if you're not convinced, or indeed if you want to talk to me about anything from this afterwards, feel free, uh, come and see me afterwards. But first, uh, take a look again at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he commands his disciples to make disciples. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't call them to make converts, converts and make some of them into disciples. Just before his ascension to heaven, he calls them in the power of his authority and not their own to the sole task of making disciples. Second reason we see an outrageous number of calls to be growing into Christ in the New Testament. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, 21 writes that in Christ, the whole structure, the church that is, the whole thing being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In chapter 4, we've already seen the call to grow up in every way into Christ. In Colossians 2, Paul writes that Jesus Christ is the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. In 1 Peter 2.2, 2, we're going to go there actually in a while when we start our First Peter series. Peter writes, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that is the teaching and gospel of Jesus, that by it you may grow up into salvation. In 2 Peter 3.18, Peter instructs us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And that's what's, what's really interesting about every single one of those calls those commands and statements about ongoing growth is that they are not addressed to specific people. None of those letters are written to one person. If you, if you look at the beginnings of Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, you'll see that they are addressed to whole churches, sometimes whole regions enca uh, encompassing large numbers of churches, particularly in the case of 1 Peter. Everyone was told to go on growing. And, and finally, the book of Acts offers this really nice, clean, open-shut case that I really should just put at the start here uh, on, on which Christians are meant to be disciples, which Christians are meant to go on growing. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, Paul's in Antioch teaching believers, uh, and, and the author Luke tells us that uh, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. So which Christians are disciples, right? All of them, because we were disciples first and then we got called Christians. Someone who says that they are a Christian must inescapably be a disciple because they mean the same thing. They're synonyms, except for it's more specific. It's a disciple of Jesus. Christians are called Christians as we saw there, because they are the disciples who grow into the likeness of Christ. And it's worth saying that in one sense, everyone will be a disciple, not even just Christians, right? Um, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. You will spend your life, you will spend every minute of your life in a sense, in the broadest sense, being a disciple. You'll give your energy, you'll give your time pursuing something. And if you're not set on the spirit and pursuing God and growing in discipling relationships, you will be set on other things and pursuing them. Nobody is completely stagnant in this sense. Something is teaching you right now, aside from me. Something will teach you, something will disciple you to grow in a certain direction. It's a reality of human life. Now, whether that's people that you choose to hang around with and choose to let speak into the situations of your life. It could be broader than that. It could be television and entertainment. 
It could be the gossip you choose to expose yourself to in the workplace or the music that you listen to, the things that you allow to pour into your life to teach you how to live will make you a disciple of them. What you're allowing to influence you will cause you to develop in the way that you do. It, let me give you an example. If your life and joy is motocross, nothing wrong with motocross, fun thing, motorbikes, jumping, people hurting themselves terribly, that bit's not so great. But, uh, but if your life and your joy is motocross, you're going to talk about it, you're going to be on about it, you're going to learn from other people about it, and you're going to grow in your motocross, right? And you're going to grow to be more motocross. You're going to get jackets that have a picture of a fox on them, I think. Uh, you can tell that I'm not into motocross right now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're going to learn words like nun, 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 uh, because that's what's influencing your growth, right? If your life and joy is reality television, heavens forbid, should it be renovation shows? Uh, then the time you sink into that will give you a harvest, of growth in your love for ridiculously overdramatic music and kitchen sinks. For the Christian, although we can enjoy a great many things. Now, don't hear me saying that you can't like motocrossing, you can't like renovation programs. I would be condemning my own wife with the renovation shows. I would be condemning myself with a bunch of other things. But although we can enjoy great, a great many things as the gifts that God gives, our first desire is for God. As Christians, we must be disciples first of Jesus because he is the source of true joy. Paul, Paul writes this in Romans. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. We must be being grown, intentionally setting our minds on and, and being discipled in our faith by other Christians. And so we should ask, if every Christian is a disciple, then who makes disciples? Uh, once again, we really just need to go back to the Great Commission, don't we, in, in Matthew chapter 28, and to Paul's teaching in Ephesians 4. In the Great Commission, as we've said, Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples, teaching them to do all that he has commanded. Can you see that he's being a little bit on the tricky side there? So, because he's like, what does he say? He says, go and make disciples and teach them to do all that I've taught you, right? Can you see that as he says, teaching them all that I've taught you, that includes the command to go and make disciples. Uh, that's why we see Paul, for instance, urging believers again and again, six times, I think, throughout his letters, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ, Paul is a disciple of Christ, and so he disciples others into the likeness of Christ. So does it apply to us 2,000 years later? Yeah, I'm getting nods, but I'm going to say this anyway because it's fun. Because you can just, you can just imagine you could draw your lineage, right? Because it's there. You have one, right? So imagine you were Jim, believer in the, the, the first century there, you know, maybe 40 years after Jesus ascended up into heaven. And, and you could draw your faith lineage probably because Jesus discipled Andrew who discipled Rosa, who discipled Marie and George and George discipled Tim and Tim discipled you. And we get to Jim, right? It's really just the same thing with us. We're just a bit later in the process. You jump to 2,000 years later, Jesus discipled Andrew, 
uh, and taught him to make disciples. Andrew discipled Steve and taught him to make disciples. Steve discipled Bob and taught him to make disciples. Bob to Erastus, Erastus to Bill, Bill to Eugene, Eugene to Miguel, Miguel to Tim, Tim to Reginald, Reginald to Archibald, Archibald to Gladys, Gladys to Tiffany, so on and so forth until we get to little old Pete Burford, right? And at every stage of the process, the command has applied, go, make disciples and teach them all that I have taught you. Teach them to make disciples. In fact, it has applied to every Christian throughout all of history without exception. It's pretty clear in Ephesians as well. When Paul says in verse 16 of Ephesians 4 that Christ makes the body, that is the church, grow when every part is working properly, every part of the church has to be active in growing the whole thing. And the the only way that happens is through the making of disciples. Finally, our final question today. I realize this is a bit of a technical one. We're going we're gonna to talk a lot about discipleship in the next however long this church exists for, so don't be too worried. How long are we a disciple? How long does that process last? How long are we as Christians called to go on growing as disciples of Jesus? There are so many places that we could go in the Bible that would give us the same answer to this question. But but I want to offer you just one fact. The Apostle Paul was growing his entire life. Uh, The way we see that is that he continued to see more and more of his own insufficiency throughout his life and more and more of the sufficiency of Christ. I can say that because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes, I am the least of the apostles. About 10 years later, He writes another letter. He wrote to the Ephesians. He wrote, I am the very least of the saints. You see, there's a bit of a step there. And finally, when Paul is in prison in Rome near the end of his life, writing one of his final letters, he writes to Timothy that he, Paul, was the worst of all sinners. Paul continued to change throughout his life, to see himself differently and to see Jesus differently. And and, and you can see it throughout his letters. It's not just these three little statements. He continued to see himself as less and to grow in his soul faith in Jesus. And unless we feel that we are somehow better than the greatest missionary that the church has ever known, um, raise your hand, you know. No, no. Uh, (laughs) uh, We need to do the same. We are called to grow for life as disciples. So if you are seven years old or you are 97 years old, or if you're seven years a Christian or 97 years a Christian or one year a Christian, you are called to be a disciple, growing to be more like Jesus. And so we are left with just one small question. I want to say small, I use that figuratively and incorrectly. If we're all called to be disciples who make disciples and we're all called to live out this reality for our entire life, Uh, If every Christian at every stage of their life by the power that their saviour works in them is called to be a disciple, a disciple-making disciple, so that everyone will grow up into the likeness of Christ, the big question is, why would you do it? What's our motivation here? Like I said, this has been technical so far. We've, we've just answered a bunch of questions, right? But, But why go through a life of such change and growth? Uh, Any Christian disciple who's been one for a long time will tell you that there is pain involved. 
quite a bit of it. You know, Jesus says to his disciples, come, follow me, take up your cross. Whoever doesn't take up their cross is not worthy of me. Whoever doesn't fare well, mother and father and family, home and goods, everything is not worthy of me. Why would you do this to yourself? It can be seriously uncomfortable change and growth. And the big answer is that the cross of Jesus and the joy of knowing God make it entirely worth it. At the cross, Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, won us freedom. Freedom from our slavery to sin when he carried our sin on himself and, its pun- and all of its punishment that was meant for us, for me. So you see, if we are growing up into him, then we are growing to reflect the freedom from sin that has been won for us. In that passage in Ephesians 4 verse 15, what's the result of the discipling ministry of the church? When, When the body of Christ speaks the truth in love into each other's lives, speaking the truth of the gospel into every situation of each other's lives, when disciple making ministry happens, God's people grow up into Christ is what he says there. We become like our sinless saviour. We are transformed. Think about it this way. Uh, when were humans the happiest? Yeah, when we were the most, when were we the most fulfilled that we have ever been in all of history? Not there. Uh, <laughs> anyone got an answer? Yeah. The garden, right? Why? That, that's an answer to why. Thank you, Pete. Because in the garden, we weren't ruled by our sin. And by the things of this world, we weren't slaves to it. In the garden, humanity was with God and God was with us. And Adam and Eve knew complete joy in that freedom. That is until they disobeyed God and their joy and completeness was broken. And ever since, sin, and, uh, sin has separated us from God and the joyous satisfaction we had in him. And instead, our lives have been full of endless striving. The the suffering that we see all around us, the suffering that we see right now and the suffering that we see right now in New Zealand, in this world all around us, the great hole in our hearts and in this world that we just can't fill for ourselves, no matter how hard we try, is, is the result of this state that we've been in. But in Jesus His death and his resurrection, the power of our sin that separated us from God was broken. For everyone who believes. And so as we live the life of discipleship, that is as we go on understanding the grace that has been shown to us and how it changes us, as we go on being taught to be more like Jesus, the one who is without sin, Although at times it will be hard, we can have joy knowing that we are more and more reflecting the freedom from sin that Jesus has won for us and the miraculously restored relationship with God that we have in him. Doesn't that sound worth it? Discipleship is the life of those who have been won a close relationship 
with the, the God that the author of Psalm 43 calls his exceeding joy. So it only makes sense for us to want to be his disciples if you are a saved person, if you have believed in Jesus. And for us to want to make disciples of others and spread the joy so that they could live out their freedom more and more. Um, I thought I'd finish today just by, uh, well, we're going to have another song. I'll probably have to exchange a child before that can happen. But um, sharing my personal experience of this. Um, it's a lifelong one. I've been in disciple-making relationships in some context for most of my life, uh, starting with these two folks over here, actually. But um, when I think of the times in my life that have brought satisfaction and joy and growth, they're the times when I've had other people intentionally pouring into me, working to help with my transformation, working to be Christ into my life and see me transform more and more into the likeness of Christ. And it has been a, a, a wonder and a joy to me. And so I hope that that's one that you're looking for. I hope that you are keen to build relationships with other Christians where you make disciples and where you are discipled by others, where we speak God's good truth into each other's lives and grow up into the likeness of Jesus. It's a good thing. Would you pray with me? And I'm going to ask Matt to go and take over with Ellie. No, Ma. Oh, communion. That's right. All right, let's pray anyway. Uh, Jesus, thank you for the cross. May we never get sick of praying those words. We're only at week three of the existence of this congregation, Lord, in this way. But Lord, we ask that you would never let us be tired of the gospel by which we are changed by which we have been justified and by which we are being transformed and by which one day we will step into a new creation. Please, Lord, work transformation in the lives of your people. Let us be disciples who grow under your word and let us be disciples who make disciples for you that one day we might step into that new creation with the great joy of knowing that we have been growing towards this joy that is fully ours then. And we have been instruments in your hand in seeing that happen in the lives of others. Please work this in your church, Lord, please. Amen.